This is Church Historia, and you're listening to the second of two episodes about the history of Christmas. I'm Leslie. And I'm Stephanie. In a couple weeks, when 2021 hits, we'll be back on track with our look at Southern Christian traditions. But we're hoping these two Christmas episodes will enlighten you about some of the history of the things that you've been likely doing and seeing for the last few weeks. Mm, Yes. And in the first two of these episodes, we talked about how the Christmas season came to be and why we do some of the weird things we tend to do and sing about during this month. And today's episode is about the big man himself (gasps) and how he came to be. Jolly old Saint Nicholas. Yep. That's the one. I heard he's coming to town soon. Uh, We should offer a disclaimer, shouldn't we? We should. So we're going to be taking a historian's look Mm. at Santa Claus. Mm -hmm. And um, this may be a new narrative and... Mm. If there are some younger folks listening, um, we'll, we'll leave it up to the parents to decide how much of the history of Santa Claus that you'd like to let them hear. Yeah. Yes. It, it, we don't want to ruin anything. Yes. This is just a few days away and we don't need any sort of that sadness happening. So just a disclaimer that there could be some spoilers about Santa Claus. Um, speaking of Santa Claus... <laughs> I have a surprise for you. And it's not like a surprise like, oh my gosh, this is the coolest thing that's ever happened to me. I'm excited. (laughs) Okay. Okay. I might have told you at some point that I talked to a Santa impersonator. Yes. Okay. So for those, for for you listening at home, uh, I had this idea to talk to people who play Santa because I watched a bunch of these Santa Claus movies and there's this recurring character and the character is the guy who plays Santa, not Santa himself, but in Miracle on 34th Street, you have the drunk, you have the janitor, you have the old man who is Kris Kringle, obviously. Um, And then my favorite of all of them though is in Christmas with the Cranks, which Jerry's still out of that's a good Christmas movie, but there's this random guy that shows up to the Christmas party that knows everybody and no one knows who he is. And it turns out he's the Santa Claus and he's always been in costume and no one knows who he is, but he knows who everyone else is. It's my favorite, but there's this caricature of the guys who play Santa. And so I thought there have to be people like that in real life. And I ended up getting on the phone with one of them just to learn about what they do. And so there's a part of our conversation where he talks about the history of Santa. So what I thought I'd do is I wanted to play you what he says. And you don't have to spoil anything. Like, you don't have to, like, correct anything he says. But I just want to get your reaction to what he says. History showdown with Santa Claus. Yes, (laughs) with the head Santa Claus in Nashville. Okay, so let me play this. And I've been, like I said uh, earlier, I've been a professional Santa for, I think this is my 11th or, or maybe 12th season. I had to, and did, for the first two or three years, I was a professional Santa. I bought a fake belly. Now, this is unfortunately, the last two or three years, I have not had to use it. So, so you know. That is so interesting because the old, you know, I, I, the little I know about Santa Claus as a, in folklore Mm-hmm. Is that he's really not a, he wasn't necessarily this jolly round sort of a fella. He was, mm-hmm. you, and you probably know way more than I do. So it's interesting that this American sort of, and I don't know if it's Americanized, I just assume, mm-hmm. is this sort of portly 
mm-hmm. round, jolly guy. Right. Well, we we in in the U.S. we we take our modern day Santa, and we take it from Thomas Nast, who was an, an illustrator for More the New to York come. Times. Mm-hmm. Foreshadowing, maybe during the Civil War, before pre Civil War, and during and after the Civil War. Thomas Nasty was a he was a famous illustrator. You can look him up, and we he built upon the 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 poem "Twas the Night Before Christmas," and he took that and made Santa with a red suit, a jolly old elf. It says in the in the in the in the poem, and. That's where we get our classic version of Santa Claus, or what Santa is supposed to look like. So, hmm. We have the truth from Santa himself. <laughs> from, from the mouth of the big man. Yes. And we'll go into a little bit more detail, uh, but that was great. Awesome. That I'm was so great. glad. Well, let's, let's learn about Santa. Let's do it. So... Hard to talk about Christmas as it has become without talking about Santa Claus. Santa Claus! Or Saint Nick or Mm. Klaus or SC or I don't know, whatever. Santa Claus Kaboom Jacks. I haven't heard that one before. (laughs) Miracle on 34th Street. Ah. The old one. Which I've seen like once or twice. Okay, well, there's this scene where all the children are coming to see Santa. And the girl whose name I have forgotten is a skeptic, and she's watching Santa Claus. She doesn't think Santa Claus is real. And then there's this little girl comes up, and the mom's like, "Oh, she doesn't speak English. We just adopted her from somewhere. It was a, it's a, gosh, where does she say? It's like Dutch. She's Dutch. She doesn't, she doesn't speak English. And then he like leans over and he starts speaking to her in her native tongue. And then they start singing a song that goes Santa Claus Campo. And then the little girl who's watching is like, how did he do that? He knows how to speak that language. And so it's to prove that he is obviously the real Santa Claus. The real Santa Claus. But yes. The real deal. There we go. You'll actually appreciate this. We're going to talk about how we get from St. Nick to Santa Claus here in a minute. Okay. So, but let's start with with St. Nicholas, who is a fourth century bishop in Myra who dies generally around December 6th. And this will become important because ultimately his feast day will become December 6th. Hmm. But Nicholas is known for a number of things. There's all these legends about, you know, his austerity as a baby. He wouldn't nurse on Wednesdays or Fridays because he was fasting, I guess. Very, very smart infant or very, very, very dedicated infant. Wow. Yep. There's stories about he he lost his bishopric and his rights over it, but got it back in kind of some very kind of miraculously conspired circumstances to restore him to that. And he was known as this great defender of the faith and of orthodoxy. There's a quote from a, I think it's ultimately a German manuscript, but it recounts this, this specific story of, of Nicholas and Arius, who was ultimately the Arius who was determined to be a heretic as part of the Arian controversy. And so this account says, it happened that St. Nicholas, now an old man, was present at the Council of Nicaea, and out of jealousy of faith, so out of the fervor of his faith, 
struck a certain Aryan in the jaw on the account of which is recorded that he was deprived of his mitre and pallium on the account of which he's often depicted without a mitre. So if huh. you, you may have seen the meme of St. Nicholas that says something along the lines of, I came to give presents to kids and to punch heretics and I'm all out of presents. But <laughs> this is that that's kind of where that where that story comes from so about he punched his, a man at the Council of Nicaea. Yes. Excellent. Because the man was heretic. Well, if or you're was, punch was somebody. post Council of Nicaea determined to be a heretic. Okay. So but but this idea of of a staunch defender of the faith is actually going to be an important one to okay. his his story as we go forward. There's also a story of him helping out a man who had three daughters and didn't have enough money for the dowry to marry his daughters off. And so the daughters were facing kind of a choice of starvation or prostitution because in the fourth century um, in Myra, there weren't many options for oh a single woman. And so this happened three times, once with each daughter, they each faced this crisis. And every time... Nicholas dropped off a bag of gold in secret. Hmm. And so we can already see the foundations here of somebody who brings good gifts. But Nicholas becomes to be known as the patron saint of sailors and merchants, repentant thieves and prostitutes, children, brewers, pawnbrokers, and students. And so he, he's got a very wide— My goodness, that's a, yes, a very vast community of people. Yeah, a wide, wide swath of folks that he's looking out for. But the big ones here is, is going to be children. And this idea that we see this history of giving gifts, we have a particular attachment to children, but also, again, this idea of kind of defender of the faith. And so as time goes on, different places in Europe develop different traditions. And so in the Netherlands, there develops this tradition of Sinterklaas, who would come visit once a year and he would quiz children and adults on Bible trivia to see if they passed. If you passed the impromptu Bible quiz, you would get a little gift. If not, you would either get beaten or put in a bag and taken to hell by Black Pete, who went around with... Who's Black Pete? The, he kind of becomes Sinterklaas or St. Nicholas's sort of aide. Oh, my. Um, because it's kind of determined, like, Nicholas can't be both like good and a saint and also actively dragging people to hell. So he's gotta have a helper to we'll do just, that. Yeah, part. we'll just he will have an assistant to do it. Oh my. And so there's also the tradition of Krampus or Krampus in Austria and Bavaria and, and Croatia, which probably is a pre-Christian tradition, but eventually, or in some traditions, Krampus replaces Black Pete as the enforcer to go along with St. Nicholas on these yearly gift-giving, Bible-quizzing adventures. Oh, my. And it's, you know, it's kind of a scare tactic to keep kids in line, but also we have this kind of dual defender of the faith, gift-giver thing that we saw in the, in the, the actual historicity of Nicholas. As time goes on, though, the consequences for not getting your Bible trivia right tend to become a little bit less and less severe, until eventually you just get coal. Hmm. You just get a non-gift instead of being beaten and dragged to hell. Oh, that's good. So that that feels... <laughs> it feels a little less extreme. Yeah. That makes, makes me a little bit... So this is St. Nicholas that's going around doing yes. this? Yes. So we've got St. Nicholas doing these things. But again, St. Nicholas is Catholic. Of and course. so 
Protestant Germany then has this conundrum as they become Protestant, which is in some ways this is kind of a beloved tradition. So you can't just get rid of St. Nicholas altogether, but you can't keep him because he's Catholic. So instead, they introduce the idea of Christ Kindle or the Christ child who visits children on Christmas Eve and it spiritualizes gift giving, right? Mm. Okay. The Christ child has come to give you this gift. So we mo just moved gift giving from St. Nicholas Day, so December 6th, to now December 24th. Ah. And the Christ child comes to be represented as a little girl in a white dress. So if you're familiar with German Christmas decorations, if you see a little girl in a white oh, dress yeah. with angel wings and a crown, that is the Christ kindle, the Christ child representation. Hmm. But I guess that still wasn't quite as appealing. So in popular imagination, they just have the Christ child start to go around with St. Nicholas on December 24th. Oh. Because St. Nicholas had kind of, was so embedded in the- The lore of the Christmas. The lore, yeah. That the Christ child starts going around with St. Nicholas on Christmas Eve. And along with St. Nicholas, depending on where you are in Europe, may, some other folk people may get subbed in and out. So- there's a old man winter in Finland, Father Christmas in England. All of these names that we have that kind of become Santa Claus, they are a old man figure who's doing things in December who becomes associated with Nicholas. And now we have Nicholas going around with the Christ Kindle. I see. So how then do we actually get to Santa Claus? Yes. Well, generally what happens is... There's an immigration of both Dutch and German folks into New York. Okay. And the English-speaking folks have, a lot of these words are unfamiliar to them and they haven't heard them before. So Christ Kindle starts to sound like Chris Kringle and Sinsterklaas, which is St. Nick or St. Nicholas, becomes Santa Claus. Sinsterklaas. Yeah. So Klaus is the Nick. Klaus, Nick yes. Klaus. Okay. Yes. And Chris, Christer, you said Christer Kinder? Christ Kindle becomes Christ. Christ Kindle, Chris Kringle. Yeah. Ah! Yep. So it's a bad, essentially it's a bad transliteration oh. of all of these names. So now we have St. Nick, Santa Claus, Chris Kringle. We're pulling in Old Man Winter and Father Christmas from other European traditions. <laughs> and now we just have this conglomeration of words to refer so to the this. being of Santa Claus is really like ugh, five maybe even to ten different traditions of this figure that goes around giving gifts yes they get mixed up and mis mispronounced mm -hmm. and new pronounced in huh. New York in the late 1700s and early 1800s wow so within New York during the same time, the elite culture of New York is largely German and Dutch and is carrying on those traditions and, and making those traditions the cool things to do. So these, these traditions stay enmeshed within society. And then I think much like today, like New York is cool and everybody wants to do what people in New York are doing. Mm -hmm. So the cool kids in New York help establish this tradition of this gift giving figure. Hmm. So we've got a couple more steps to go before we get to the Coca-Cola Santa. Yeah. So 
1823. Either Clement Moore or Henry Livingston, it's kind of up in the air about who actually published it, but somebody publishes Twas the Night Before Christmas. Hmm. And depending on which, who actually published it, it may have been an original work or it may have been a derivation of a previously published work. So if anybody knows the actual publishing history of Twas the Night Before Christmas, let, let us know. But what is unique within Twas the Night Before Christmas is we start to get some changes. So we get indication that Santa is small. Hmm. There's some references about like the little man, hmm. mm-hmm. and like and Santa being small, which is gonna, which is a precursor to this idea of elves. Mm-hmm. Um, Santa has a sleigh, his reindeers with names coming on Christmas Eve. So we, we're solidly now moving away from December sixth and Saint mm-hmm. Nicholas Day to Christmas Eve. He's not a bishop. We have no indication that he's any sort of religious figure. He has twinkling eyes, red cheeks, red nose, chubby. He's here's a gift giver, not as the Bible trivia right. announcer or presenter. And so this, this changes us away from St. Nicholas and starts to make Santa Claus be independent of the historical right. St. Nicholas who, who existed. So in the 1860s through 80s, Thomas Nast is a German-born illustrator who's moved to New York, and he's the one who's going to give us a lot of the images, Mm. the visual images of what we associate with Santa Claus today. So the night before Christmas told us that that Santa had chubby cheeks and a red nose, but the pot-bellied, white-bearded gentleman with a sack over his shoulder in kind of a red uniform with white trim is coming from Thomas Nast. And so Thomas is working for Harper's Weekly and he starts publishing these illustrations of Santa Claus between 1863 and 1888. He's just 33 of them in total. And along with that, based into his drawings, we start to add other things to the Santa myth. So headquarters of in the North Pole, the fact that he's a toy maker, that there's elves, that he receives letters, that he has his ledger of names, the idea of giving cookies for Santa all come out of Thomas Nast's illustrations. Nast also develops the Republican elephant and the Democratic donkey. So we also have him oh to my. thank for those images hmm. and along with the images of Uncle Sam. But he also did a lot of wartime during the Civil War. And so in some cases, Santa Claus is wearing a union uniform. Really? It was a very intentional choice by NAS to kind of say that Santa Claus was on the side of the union. So if you ever thought Santa Claus was apolitical, he's not. He's not. Um, wow. He hmm. had, had some strong political leanings. So those really take off as a visualization. And now, now we have a picture of Santa. Yeah. And this is in the late 1800s. Yep. So this is, so NASA is doing these pictures from about, from 1863 to 1888. So they're kind of really catching on. And this then creates a market for the idea of going to visit Santa. Because now we know what Santa looks like, so we can Mm -hmm. replicate Santa. And remind me again where Twas the Night Before Christmas lands and all Uh, of this. 1823-ish. Aha. Okay. So. Great. Yep. About 40 years before. Yeah. So. We start to so there's a tradition of Christmas markets and kind of going to the bazaar around Christmas or you know going to going to Macy's and looking at the Macy's windows mm-hmm. if you're in New York. So now we just kind of add on going to visit Santa mm-hmm. because again, thanks to Nas, now we know that what he looks like. Nobody looks like. So then, kind of our our final leap is then with Coca Cola mm. and Haddon Sunblom, who's a 
Chicago-based commercial artist who was hired by Coca-Cola to do Christmas ads for them. And between 1931 and 1964, so for 33 years, he did at least one Coca-Cola Santa ad a year. And that's where Santa, where the red and white association with Santa really comes Uh. in really strongly because there's the red colors for Mm Coca-Cola. And so he makes Santa kind of big again. It's with Sunblom and Coca-Cola that we start to get the the fur trimmings and the kind of soft plush Mm. clothing that goes along with it. And so then thanks to just kind of general American marketing and exports, but also Coca-Cola, this image of Santa Claus then gets exported to the rest of the world. Mm. So it starts in the United States and then gets exported globally and is now kind of Ah, the default Santa Claus. But it, in some ways, is a commercial export of the United States. So I'm wondering people in Germany this whole time, they are not seeing the Thomas Nast cartoons, likely. Probably not. They may have, closer to the turn of the 20th century, Okay. The United States might have started exporting some of those. There's a tradition of Christmas card giving that becomes really strong. So it's possible that some of those images started to I see. go over ahead, it's of, a ahead funny of the 30s. To think but about all of these traditions immigrating to the United States. The United States takes all of them. Yep. Smushes them together. Puts them through this filter and po- out pops this very specific figure that looks like really none of the other ones. And then it, he in Coca-Cola goes back to those traditions. And I just wonder at what point, maybe it was before Coca-Cola, that the Dutch were like, who's this guy? Yeah. This I, guy sounds like Santa Claus. <laughs> like, what happened to Santa Claus? I don't know. Yeah, it is. And I I don't know a ton of the like exact exporting history, but you are right about the general trend. This, These things come into the United States. They get mixed up. They get smushed together. They turn this thing out. And then American marketing takes it (laughs) and exports it back to the rest of the world. (laughs) It's pretty hysterical, isn't it? Yep. And now it's happening so quickly, right? I mean, like memes, it's immediate. It's immediate. But, you know, these things, it's interesting to me that it took, what, 40 years for Twas the Night Before Christmas to get to the Thomas Nast cartoons. Mm. Like that is, that's a, such a long time, you know? But it is pretty hysterical to think about Santa Claus coming back to his motherland where he kind of started his roots as this completely different figure. Yeah. And they had to have been like, huh, that kind of kind of resembles this other thing. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. Thank you, Coca-Cola. For giving us Santa. Mm-hmm. In thinking about Santa Claus and this trajectory from St. Nicholas to Santa Claus, to the Coca-Cola Santa Claus, there's several things that stuck out for me. And the first one is, in in particular with St. Nicholas in his early incarnation, is this idea of our need for accountability. The idea of if you don't know your Bible trivia that you could be dragged off to hell is terrifying. And I don't, I don't. Really? No. Yeah. Yeah. And it it feels a little bit sort of heavy handed, but, but there is this idea of accountability that 
once a year, you know St. Nicholas is going to come and check. And even when we talk about Santa Claus and the list of names and the ledger of you know, good kids and bad kids is this idea of we do need some accountability in our lives and knowing that there are consequences to our choices. So I think to a certain degree, Santa Claus reminds us of that, that we do need some accountability. I think Santa Claus also conveys some of the power of marketing and the power of familiarity that, you know, Coca-Cola is able to export this thing back out to the world. And those aren't necessarily bad or evil powers. They're just things to be aware of that we we think Santa Claus looks a certain way because of a newspaper illustrator and a commercial artist. Hmm. And there's nothing wrong with how Santa Claus looks, but it's good to kind of be reminded of some of those those forces sometimes. And then also when I think about kind of Santa Claus and the Christmas spirit and why is Santa stuck around for so long? It was some of these older traditions like Old Man Winter maybe got co-opted onto the Santa train. What What is it about Santa and the Christmas spirit that seems so enduring and so kind of continually poignant? And I think a big part of it is the combination of hope, wonder, and delight that mm. are the things that that Santa can represent, that hope for good things, this kind of magical wonderment of who Santa is in the North Pole and how Santa can visit everybody's house and, and these delights in getting good gifts and in celebrating with those that we love that I think Santa does a good job of representing those things that are, I think, crucial to the Christmas spirit. I think last year was one of the first years that maybe just because I heard it actually said, but I think I was listening to an NPR something or another, and they were talking about why do adults have such a hard time with Christmas? And when we're children, everything just magically appears. You know, maybe we help decorate, we help with the cookies, but it's like, oh, we're making cookies today. Cookies are happening. And there's music playing that is, this is a different kind of music that we only listen to at this time. And then I'm going to wake up one morning and there are presents there and I had nothing to do with it. There is a sense of wonder that we as adults, we're the ones making all of that happen. And so we lose that sense of wonder. Yeah, I was just you know, thinking about your cookie example, right? I've, I've gotten to bake with my friend's daughter a few times. She's four now and she's just she's just so excited but for her the flour is just there mm-hmm. all the measuring cups are just there yeah she can just put it in the oven yeah and for, you know for the adults do i have enough flour oh i don't think i have enough let me run to the store okay where did i put the measuring cups that one's dirty i've got to clean it make sure i preheat the oven there's yes. a lot more steps involved that that can kind of sap our our wonder and delight about Making cookies with loved right. ones. Yeah. Whether that's, you know, the Christmas season or, or other times, there is something beautiful about that childlike yeah. delight. Mm-hmm. From both of us at Church Historia, we wish you wonder and joy this Christmas as we remember the birth of Jesus, who came to save a broken world. May you find rest over the coming days and be at peace as the new year dawns. Thank you for listening to Church Historia, and we'll be back in a couple of weeks to resume our conversation about Southern church history. Happy New Year, and Merry Christmas.